Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hello, we're back. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. We're into Series 4, but it's Jose Mourinho's third season at Man United, and he's got some things to prove. We talk what they are, which players have something to prove as well. The World Cup, pre-season, transfers, kits, and more as club football returns after a truly brilliant month of international football in Russia. Now, we're going to start off by talking about the World Cup very briefly, but only about issues related to United. I mean, me and Jack could probably talk all day about the... The brilliant moments of England's route to the semi-final and the the gut-wrenching pain of the semi-final itself, but you've probably heard it before. And this is the Manchester United weekly podcast. So um, to begin with Jack, Paul Pogba, his World Cup performance is described as absolutely brilliant by Jose Mourinho. And I guess that's especially true about his his displays in the latter stages of the tournament, mainly the the knockout rounds. Scored in the final, began the move that that led to him scoring with a, a ridiculously good pass to Mbappe and now he's got a three-week break and hopefully comes back to to have a consistently great season rather than occasional moments and performances of brilliance. Yeah, the World Cup showed everything that Paul Pogba is, I think. It was a brilliant to watch him for so many of those games for France just completely dominate the midfield. Him and Kante together were absolutely brilliant and then in the final where... Kante probably had one of the worst performances I've I've seen him have, and that's testament to how good he's been in the last few years. Pogba stepped up and took the ball by the horns and came up with so many moments of magic in that final. Like you said, the pass to Mbappe leading to his own goal was just one of the best passes I think I can remember seeing. It was just ridiculous the way the vision he had for that pass. But it wasn't it wasn't just the final and the knockout stages. You go all the way back uh, into the group stage against I think it was Australia their first game. Pogba puts the ball through for Griezmann to win the, the controversial VAR penalty and then completely dictates the move that ends up with him getting the sort of lucky deflection goal to put the game away for France. It was a brilliant performance, just not just in that game, but in, in the tournament as a whole. And I think hopefully now Pogba can come back, like you said, get some rest, 
and come back on a high. What I, what I loved as well is all so many videos circulating around Twitter of, of Pogba being such a leader in that French dressing room. And there's so many so many times we've sort of cried out for Pogba to be that kind of leader for United. And I hope that he can now because not only does a World Cup win sort of it, it sort of I guess satisfies a player more than anything else in a, but in a way that no other trophy can. You know, it sort of validates you as a player in some ways. So I hope Pogba can come back maybe with a bit of weight off his shoulders. It does seem like yeah. he's been weighed down by the pressure and the expectation at times. So hopefully he can come back with that weight off his shoulders a little bit and just play his natural game because when he plays like he is in the world, like he did in the World Cup, he's almost unstoppable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the pressure won't stop. No, There's no any, not at all. For United, it may be even more heightened because he's impressed on the international stage, but it does take... it. It's one example of him proving himself, um, both to fans of all persuasions, to Mourinho, to any critics, to pundits, to everyone, um, and, and to the French public as well, who sometimes have said, well, why are you supposedly so good without showing us that you're this good? And yeah, he's he's 25. It's not too late for him to become one of the best in the world. It's not too late to build United's team around him. He's both defensively disciplined and attackingly brilliant in Russia. He led France with those the, the inspirational team talks in the dressing room that you just mentioned. Hugo Lloris was captain, but Pogba was was delivering those talks just before the team went out, and they were they're brilliant. And it was before every match, and um, and I, there was a there was a good quote from Adil Rami, the centre back, who said, "I don't know how or or from where, but Pogba has become the leader of this team," and that's. I think that's what you kind of want from a leader, like that organic way of just slowly becoming the leader in the dressing room, not necessarily being given the captaincy, not necessarily being told, you give this, you do this, but Pogba just taking charge. And that's what hopefully you can carry on that into United. We want to see all of that in the United shirt, the defensive discipline, the attacking brilliance and the inspirational team talks. That's what we want from Pogba at United. Well, and just going back to, to, the, to the leadership aspect of it, there's been some quotes from Mourinho in the last few days about the new captain of United after Carrick has gone. And he said, I don't really care who, who's wearing the captain's armband. I care about what people do in the dressing room. And that's exactly what Pogba was doing for France. Just because he didn't have the captain's armband doesn't mean that he wasn't the leader of that team. And hopefully he can bring that back to United because we need someone like that, like that in the dressing room. It is a young team. And not only does Pogba need to be our leader on the pitch, he needs to be a leader in the dressing room too. Yeah, definitely. We've, we've needed someone to to be delivering that for so long. And hopefully, who knows, but Michael Carrick in the coaching staff, he's worked with Pogba already. He probably understands Paul Pogba better than Jose Mourinho does. Having both played with him and now coached him, he probably understands Pogba from a, from a wider view. And hopefully he can, if he's not being that leader, have a word in his ear and say, why why can you do this for France? Why can't you do this for United? And it suggested that his relationship with Mourinho still hasn't fully recovered after some issues last season. And hopefully those are sorted out over summer. Um, and and Pogba, I don't think they will be fully sorted out at any point, but hopefully Pogba can, can, have, can care about United in the same way he clearly cares about France and therefore be the same player. But also, United plays for England. Rashford, amazing achievement, a World Cup semi-final by the age of 20. Obviously, pales in comparison to Kylian Mbappe, but all players would, would look weak next to him, scoring scoring five goals in a World Cup age 19, including in the final, and, and yeah. being one of the best players in the world. Um, but great experience for Rashford and Lingard. 
Young wasn't amazingly good but solid and, and his starting spot is kind of reward for the, the determination he showed at United to continue working to get back into the team after after being dropped by Fergie, Moyes, Van Gaal and Mourinho. Um, and it, Young shouldn't be United's starting left-back but he is and it's deserved reward for, for the effort he puts in. That's, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. Young, I think, in some ways epitomises the, the good and the bad of, of this current team all in one. You know, it's a nice story. It's good to see that he's managed to come back and sort of revitalise his career playing in a brand new position. But it also tells you a lot about the current state of our team that we do have a mid-30 mid year old who started his career as a left winger, looked like he was on his way out of United and has managed to turn himself into a left wing back with a lot of deficiencies, um, who is our starting left back. But at the end of the day... He had a pretty solid tournament without being remarkable. Um, for the other England players from United, you know Lingard, I thought had a, had a very good tournament. As always with Lingard, his finishing left a little bit to be desired at times. But the runs he was making, the work he put in off the ball, I think that system suited him perfectly because it was all about movement off the ball. Him being the furthest furthest forward at times when Harry Kane dropped deep, I thought he had a really strong tournament. Rashford obviously got a few cameos off the bench. Um, probably had the best miss of his life against Belgium that put us into the easiest side of the draw. <laughs> yeah, I think all round it was a it was a good experience for the England boys. Obviously, getting to a World Cup semi final that might not might not ever happen again for any of them. It's obviously the first time it's happened in either of our lifetimes. Um, so who knows how long it'll be till the next one? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we, I said we weren't going to speak about it, but it was it was special. Logically, it should happen because we should have a better team in in twenty twenty two and in 2020 in the Euros, but logic is, is not a not a thing used in the World Cup or Euro or any football tournament. So who knows if we if Also, we'll just to put, a, to put this back to United, watching that England team just made me question why Chris Smalling was ever in, in the running to be in the team. Because yeah. watching John Stones, Harry Maguire bring the ball out the back, and just thinking about Chris Smalling trying to do the same thing, it, it frightened me, to be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, w- watching the England team and then watching Pogba for France, um, Lukaku for Belgium, you thought, why are these players performing? Because most players don't perform better on an international stage than for their clubs yeah. where their their team has been built around them. They train every day with the players around them, but it looked like Lukaku and, and Pogba did. And David De Gea with Spain, one player who definitely didn't perform better with his country than with his club. Um, United fans kind of pretty surprised by his mistakes for Spain, but with Spain, he's he's generally far more unreliable than with United, which is better than the other way round, to be fair. And it it may just be that De Gea is not entirely comfortable on international duty. If you think about him at United, it's it's a good thing because it means he's comfortable at United. He's got his best mates in Mata and Herrera. He's got a goalkeeping coach who he grew up with at Atletico Madrid in Emilio Alvarez. He's got very little pressure and a huge amount of support. Any kind of mistake is is written off as as a huge rarity. Whereas with Spain, it's huge pressure after he, he finally replaced the legend of, of Ike Casillas. Less, less of his close mates. Um, attacks from the Real Madrid favouring media like Marsa and, and AS who are who are kind of frustrated he never really pushed through that move to, to Real Madrid like Ronaldo did. Um I mean that just one example, Marsa ranked De Gea's poor performances above the sacking of the Spain manager two days before the tournament in why Spain got knocked out of the World Cup so early. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it it was a poor tournament tournament by De Gea. That I I did see that Marsa thing a few weeks ago and that was 
ridiculous, to be honest. Uh, the Spanish media leaves a lot to be desired, I think, in terms of of neutral reporting in general. But yeah, I think I think the way that De Gea came into into the number one role with Spain does does play uh, play a big part in maybe why he's been more unreliable for them. It sounds silly that you know the best players in the world are sort of weighed down by any sort sort of pressure or anything like that. But it definitely does play on your mind, and I think it's definitely possible that. There's there's still a part of the head that feels like he needs to prove himself in a Spain shirt because so many people were so against him taking the number one role and I think most people could see that he was better than Casillas for a couple of years before he actually took over but obviously the legend that Ica Casillas is could have kept him in front and maybe there is a part of De Gea that feels he has to prove himself and he just builds the pressure up on himself too much um, and obviously just with the international schedule being the way it is you get less chances to prove yourself in an international shirt so probably a combination of those things and, and just not being as comfortable with, with the people around in the defence in front of him. But yeah, there was some very uncharacteristic errors. Um, the, the great stat that was flying about was that he didn't make a save for the whole group stage or wherever it was. But yeah, as long as he keeps performing in a United shirt, I'm not really too fussed what he does with Spain. But it was very out of character to see him make so many mistakes because it wasn't just the World Cup. He made a couple in the, uh, in the friendlies beforehand as well. So... But as long as he comes back and, and he hits the ground running with United, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and then and then finally, Nemanja Matic out of the group stages. Mourinho was happy. We're happy. He needs some rest. Um, and that, that his tiredness kind of showed at times last season. So so that's a good thing, even though I'm sure yeah, Matic won't, won't be too pleased. Um, right, on to pre-season. Um, we've had one pre-season game against Club America, 1-1 draw. Uh, we're going on to play San Jose Earthquakes, uh, AC Milan, Liverpool, Real Madrid. Um, I think that's it. Oh, and Bayern Munich so at Bayern, the Allianz yeah. Arena. Yeah. So we've got five games in the US. We've played one, got four left, and then we've got one more at the Allianz Arena against Bayern. It's it's a bit of a, a weird preseason. So far, we've both of our signings uh, have had injuries. Fred will join up in the next week alongside De Gea and Matic because they went out of the World Cup fairly early, but will be without most of our best players for the start of the Premier League season. They won't play any part in pre-season at all. Alexis Sanchez was not allowed into the US. He's now coming to the US, so he missed the Club America game. So all this thing about our Sanchez is finally getting a rest and can have a proper pre-season has been kind of ruined already. Um, but hopefully he can now have a good four games in the US, one against Bayern, and, and properly have a, a good pre-season to hit the ground running because... Mourinho said we're starting with uh, Martial, Sanchez and probably Mata um, against Leicester. But I guess what we're looking for from pre-season, given it's a, a bit weird and only half of the squad are really there because of the World Cup, is individual players to impress us and impress Mourinho. And those are probably Martial, Shaw, Andreas Pereira and the youngsters like Tate Chong who impressed against Club America. And then you've got... Angel Gomez, and then there's lesser-known people like Mason Greenwood um, up front, Ethan Hamilton in midfield, Josh Bowie up front, uh, Roshan Williams in defence, and then you want to see Axel Twanzebe and Timothy Fossumenser get some chances to impress Mourinho and, and kind of avoid the lone move and, and put themselves above Chris Smalling in the pecking order is what we really want. <laughs> as many people that can get above Chris Smalling in the pecking order, that's all we want. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange pre-season. We seem to... I'm surprised we actually have as many games as we do. There seems to be a lot of games in... like We seem to have the same amount of games as we would in a normal length pre-season, even though it's so condensed. So I'll be interested to see sort of how, how many players Mourinho uses. I hope he rotates quite a lot. 
you could definitely see there was a lot of a lot of rust in the team against Club America. It's a very poor performance for most of the game. One person who did definitely stand out was uh, Tahith Chong. It was a really good performance by him. I think he thought he looked great on the ball. Obviously, was instrumental in when we finally got a goal. But yeah, I think you're right that really what we're looking for from preseason is for individuals to to put their stamp down and tell you know really give Mourinho no option but to start them at, at the start of the season. People like Martial, who's going to get a chance, even though maybe isn't on the on the first team sheet when our whole squad is available. People like uh, Luke Shaw. And even even some other people as well. I think um, definitely people like Darlow, like Darmian, like Fossi Mensa. It looks like Valencia will probably be starting at right back, um, regardless of what happens. But we we now have after having a lot of seasons with very very few right back options, we now have sort of four four options really for right back in Darmian, Valencia, Darlow, and Fossi Mensa. So it'll be interesting to see who who starts there early on in the season, and and who is on the bench most of the time in. Presumably Valencia's backup. Yeah, for for people like Twanzebi and Fossi Mensa, really is about making sure they can stay at the club. I think especially in Fossi Mensa's case, he needs to stay. He proved himself at Palace last season, playing at a good level. Obviously, still in the Premier League as well. So there's no no excuse in my mind why he shouldn't be kept at United. And there are yeah. definitely will be opportunities for him to get get game time as well. You look at how much game time Scott McTominay's had. Fossi Mensa being as versatile as he is, he doesn't just have to play right back, he can drop into centre-back, push forward yeah. into, into sort of holding midfield role to give Matic a bit more of a rest in the Cups. So it's not like he's not, not going to have any opportunities. So I hope both he and Twanzevi stay. And hopefully, yeah, like you said, some of the youngsters can can prove their worth. It was great to see um, to see Greenwood getting on the pitch, 16 years of age. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's mental. A 2001-born player coming on for United and... And to be honest, it's it's a reward for how good Greenwood has been for for the under eighteens. If you've listened for the whole of series three and the whole of last season and heard our youth updates, you would have constantly heard Greenwood's name just coming up and United's under eighteens beat this team four one, five one, five three. Mason Greenwood scored this many goals. He was just scoring every <laughs> week. He scored seventeen goals and assisted six goals in twenty one games at the age of sixty. He's playing two years above where he should be. Even even in the under eighteens, or at least an age group above, and he's absolutely tearing it up. So deserve for him. But yeah, as you say, I think on Fossi Mensa and Twanzebe, I think Foss, I think Fossi Mensa will stay. I think Twanzebe is probably going to go out on loan. I think there was a. I think Aston Villa were again looking at bringing Twanzebe in because he went there for the latter half of last season, um, and I think there was some rumours of. I, I think Championship clubs and. Some lower Premier League clubs will be looking at Twanzebe. Hopefully, we can find a Premier League club for him. Um, but Fossi Mensa, yeah, Mourinho said when he when he came to United that he'd try and bring through, he'd give one youth team graduate proper first team chances a year. So we haven't really seen Mourinho just hand out Dave. We've seen it a few times at the end of uh, at the end of his first season against Crystal Palace. We saw Harrop, Mitchell. Gomez come on for Rooney and become one of United's youngest players. We saw that once, but generally we've seen Marino hand first team opportunities to one player in particular, and that's Scott McTominay. And I think Fossey, yeah. he said he wanted to do that for one player per season and actually bring them into the first team squads. And I think that will probably be Fossey Mensa this season because um, it's kind of looked like a project where he's first season under Marino, he's getting chances here and there, he's travelling with the first team squad because he, he still is young. Um, he was 19 in Marino's first season, I think, and then send him out on loan. 24 
um, games for Crystal Palace, I think you said, and then come back and start becoming in the in the first team squad because he is so versatile, can be Valencia's understudy or understudy even to, to Diego Dalo or play with him um, and in central defence and in central midfield and in defence midfield. So I think Fossi Mensa probably will get chances. But yeah, pre-season is, is really about individuals because we haven't got most of our team here. Luke Shaw um, was was okay against Club America. No one really stood out against Club America except Eric Bailly and Tate Chong. Um, we'll, we'll move on probably to Chong in a second. But uh, Shaw had a pre-pre-season in Dubai with Think United's head of fitness and is looking in, in very good shape. Um, and hopefully that attitude and, and determination to succeed mixed with the fact that he is fitter and that will probably mean better performances hopefully means that he can become United starting left back over the over the next few months. Yeah, hopefully he can he can force his way past Ashley Young. I think it, it was becoming a bit of a concern, the fitness issues around Luke Shaw, because this is now sort of the third different manager after, um, was it Pochettino at Southampton, Van Gaal and Mourinho, who have all said that he had a little bit of a, of a fitness problem at different times. You know, we've seen him look, look pretty big, honestly, at times um, for United. It's obviously difficult when he's coming off of injuries and not playing as much, but it's good to see him now. He looks a lot leaner, looks a lot fitter. wasn't amazing against Club America, but we saw in, in that very short spell... Uh, I think it was Van Gaal's last season, wasn't it, before he got his really bad um, leg break. We saw what he can do, and even though that was a few years ago and many injuries ago, he is still capable of that down the left side. And I think if he can stay fit and keep himself not only injury-free, but actually you know, keep his fitness up at a good level, hopefully we can see at least getting back near to that level again. Because uh, it would be really nice to just at least have a, have a natural left-footed player on that side. It's been... So long since. Well, we've and had... Luke Luke Shaw in that in that Van Hal season you reference was genuinely looking. I, I think he probably he must have played six or seven games before he got the the leg break against PSV, and he was in pretty much every game looking like a man of the match contender. He was in brilliant form, and yeah. what's notable yeah. is that that and season. And the partnership with him and Martial was was amazing as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've forgotten about that, but yeah, Shaw and Martial on the left side were just working so, so well. And what's notable about that season is that that summer is when Shaw went to Dubai, had his pre pre season, then had a good pre season, and came back and was in like storming yeah. form at the start of the season. And obviously. That could be down to a few factors, but hopefully being this fit again, having had that proper pre-season and the bit before that getting properly fit, hopefully is a sign that we can see that form again and then he can change Mourinho's mind and become United's long-term left-back. Because you think if he does this and then becomes United's left-back and impresses Mourinho, you think he, he will have got the message about you need to stay fit. And if you do stay fit, then you've got a future this club. And if you don't, then it, it's goodbye to that future. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think at this point, it probably does need something like that because it's been, what, is this Shaw's fifth season now, a fourth season at United? And I, I, eventually it is going to have to come down to something like that because there's only so much time you can sort of have someone as a, as a project. And I think that's what Shaw has been for so long. And he's been given a, a long tether in most cases, I think, because obviously he's had so many injury problems. But it does come down to it now, where it's you keep your fitness up and you and you play well, or you know you're going to be out of the picture. Um, 
And so I really hope this season he does prove himself and he does manage to keep himself fit and injury-free. Because really that is the biggest thing with Shaw. You know, we've seen what he can do when he is fit and firing on all cylinders. But that six or seven game stretch in Van Gaal's last season probably is the only time we've ever seen him be properly injury-free and have good good enough fitness levels to be able to play at 100% for 90 minutes. Yes, yeah, and he, he was really impressive at that time. And people were saying, look, Shaw is already looking like one of the best left-backs in the world. And the potential that he has is, is I think all United fans accept it yeah. is from from those performances and from his performances at Southampton at such a young age, most United fans accept that Shaw could genuinely be one of the best in a position in the world. And I hope someone has sat down with him. If if there is attitude concerns, I hope someone sat down with him and said, look, if you want to play for England, if you want to play for another big club at any other point in your life, you need to, to take the chance you're being given here um, over the next season. And if he doesn't start at the start of the season, he doesn't. He, he can't think. Yeah, that's what it Oh well, I, I've tried. I've got fit, and I'm still not starting. He needs to think. Well, it's a fifty, sixty game season. I need to. When I do get my chance, I need to. I need to impress. Andreas Pereira as well uh, started in midfield against Club America. Has had two years out on loan in La Liga. Uh, mixed performances, generally pretty good. Very good for for Granada. Not last season, but the season before, and then. Pretty impressive for Valencia at most times. Sometimes a bit average, but generally pretty impressive for Valencia last season. And Pereira is another one, like Fossi Mensa, who could be that, that one academy graduate who Mourinho tries to bring into the first-team squad as a, as a regular first-team player. Because Pereira has a, a huge amount of talent and is kind of a midfielder that we, we haven't got that much. Someone You saw even yesterday Pereira playing those vertical passes through the lines that you don't really see that with anyone but Paul Pogba. And even Pogba, most of Pogba's brilliant passes are floated over the top diagonals or fizzed in as a as a long through ball. You don't really see Pogba playing those kind of incisive passes that sometimes you get Juan Mata if he's on really good form playing, but Pereira's playing them from deeper positions, carrying it out from um, defence, picking it up at defence, moving forward and then playing those passes. I think Pereira gives us something slightly different and... And Marino might use him quite a lot this season if he stays. Yeah, I, I hope he does stay because, like you said, I think he does offer us something that we don't really get. His playing style reminds me a little bit of Isco in the way that he loves the vertical passing so much and he travels with the ball so elegantly. So I hope he does stay. I hope he gets some good minutes. He wasn't great against Club America. Having said that, as you said earlier, no one really was. Uh, also looked like Mourinho moved him extremely deep in, in the second half. Uh, which I don't think really helped. He's almost playing as sort of like a deep line playmaker, which definitely isn't isn't his best role. I think especially at the start of the season, um, we we need him, even if it's just for depth in the squad. As you said, we're going to have so many players out. Um, I scenario I think is pretty likely to happen is that he will be uh, put back out on loan, maybe to Spain again. Um, but after the Premier League season starts, I'm pretty sure. Uh, the Premier League clubs can still sell or loan players out after the earlier deadline day in England. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Pereira still with United come the start of the season, but once all our players come back, he gets sent out on loan. I hope that doesn't happen because, you know, like we've said, there's only so many times you can send someone out on loan before you have to kind of give him an actual chance to be in the first team and prove themselves. So I hope this is that season for him and for Fosso Mensa as well. They're kind of similar situations. I think now is the time for both of them to be given a proper chance and and see if they're good enough to take it. Yeah, and I think there's so much 
The, the problem is there's so much dead wood in this United side. Players like Fellaini and then even even players like Ander Herrera and Juan Mata who realistically, if if you were really, really serious about catching City, you would probably get rid of and you'd buy... For Herrera and Mata, yeah. you'd sell both of those two and buy one genuinely quality replacement and the second replacement would be one of Pereira and Fossi Mensa. And the same goes for selling Fellaini, another player in the team. You'd, you'd get rid of... You'd probably keep Valencia as a as a utility player. you keep Valencia as a backup. you keep Ashley Young as a backup. And you'd probably get keep someone like... Damian. Yeah, you'd get rid of someone like Darman who is pretty useless. And you'd probably keep someone like Daly Blind who is a great utility player. Even if he's pretty average in, in most positions and sometimes good. What you wouldn't do is give Fellaini a new contract, keep Valencia and Young as your starting options, and keep Pereira, Mata, all these players who who are good and have some great performances but aren't really good enough. And they're on such huge wages as well, players like Mata. Herrera's on a, a fairly hefty amount. Fellaini's on a lot now. You think, is that money being spent wisely? Should it not be spent elsewhere? Can we instead buy one genuine quality replacement for the starting eleven, and then have players like Pereira and Fossi Mensa. I mean, that's that's a concern. But we have signed a few players. Fred, 52 million from Shakhtar Donetsk. City were looking at him in January and uh, last summer. I mean, to me, I've, I've barely watched Fred, so I, I can't comment that much. But he seems like he's not a completely game-changing or team-changing player, but hopefully a very solid addition that can release the talents of other people um whether that's Pogba or players further forward with because a lot a lot of Fred's attributes appear to be his his passes and the creativity brings from a slightly deeper position than if he was a pure attacking midfielder like Matter or or someone of that ilk a lot of money at 52 million but but pretty standard in this market and and hopefully can finally balance out that midfield three because McTominay Herrera aren't good enough and and Fellaini Goes without saying, not good enough. Yeah, I think I tweeted before um, before Fellaini unfortunately signed his new contract that I've never watched Fred maybe two or three times, but his name isn't Marouane Fellaini, so I'm happy with the signing because I thought it signalled that Fellaini was on his way out. So obviously, me being very harsh on Fellaini, I do think he has a role to play, but not not for us, and I'm pretty annoyed that he's been given a new contract. But that's that's uh, that's by the by. I think Fred will hopefully be a solid option from what I have seen of him. He looked pretty good. Um, he does seem like sort of a very solid player. Nothing too remarkable about him in terms of, like you said, game-changing moments. Um, but I think he's the kind of player where, A, he's pretty solid defensively, and I think what he'll bring to us is an ability to hopefully start attacks a little bit quicker because I think an area where we really struggled last season was in transition when we win the ball back. Apart from Pogba, who you know, quite often is quite inconsistent with some of the, the sort of harder passes that he tries to pull off. We had some real issues with with making our attacks quickly enough because we just didn't really have anyone in midfield who could pass vertically in a quick enough time. And that's, I think, what Fred hopefully will bring for us. I mean, he's not he's not the best passer you'll ever see, but I think he's good enough and has a, has a good enough vision that hopefully he'll be able to help us out in transition add some more beef to that midfield and hopefully as well allow us to play 4-3-3, which I think will be really, really crucial because we saw how much Pogba enjoys playing there. If you have Matic sort of sitting in between Fred and Pogba, Fred on the right, Pogba on the left, 
that starts to look like a pretty solid midfield with Matic being the most defensive, Fred playing a, a slightly more attacking role than Matic and then Pogba being that true box-to-box presence. That starts to look like a very good midfield and one where hopefully Paul Pogba will thrive without trying to do the whole unlocking Pogba's talents thing. Hopefully Fred will help to unlock some of Pogba's talents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems we've been we've signed Matic and Fred to unlock Pogba's talents. And I was talking to my brother the other day about have Mourinho's signings been a failure? And you say on a few cases, yes. Um, but Pogba, even though he's not been as good as he as he should be or could be, it still hasn't been a failure because he's still been one of United's best players since he signed. And that says a lot about what we potentially could get out of Pogba if Fred can un- un- unlock that potential. Yeah. And he's still 25, which is... I think Mourinho's biggest signings have been have been good. Yeah. There's been a lot of a lot of the sort of middle ones that have, have been pretty poor, honestly, and just don't seem to be very well thought out. But he's big... I mean, the two obviously real big marquee signings of Lukaku and Pogba... Both have been successes. Verdict is still out on, on Alexis as, as so was, far. Hopefully, Zlatan Ibrahimovic was a, a success as well. Yeah, yeah, hundred. But then, yeah, yeah, you've got players like Mkhitaryan. Lindelof is is here, and I I think Lindelof could still be a starting United centre back, and that's that's another one we mentioned from the World Cup earlier. Probably Lukaku performing better for their countries than than United. Lindelof exactly the same. Um, whether it's less pressure, yeah. a better system, whatever, Lindelof looked. Calm, composed, good on the ball, good defensively, very solid, positionally good. And he thought, well, what, why aren't we seeing this? Yeah. Um, Bai as well, another good Mourinho signing. Yeah, and that, that Bai is a weird one because obviously, like, clearly a, a very good centre back, but for some reason, some weird excuses at the end of last season about why he wasn't playing, and hopefully. He's our yeah. starting centre back again because we can't go through a season with either Smalling or Jones or Smalling and Lindelof or any combination of those three starting. <laughs> but uh, another new signing, Diego Dallo. Um, I, th- I think I think I probably like this signing more than than Fred or or any other signing we might do this window because I I just know nothing about him. And for about a week, most United fans were still trying to figure out how to pronounce his surname. Um, he told MUTV when he when he spoke to him it was Dallow but I, th- I think it's just something that, that should kind of be celebrated in this Edward Wood era of, of Man United the Galacticos signings because for every kind of ready-made superstar under, under Fergie you had Robin Van Persie was the final one you had others like Berbatov prior to him there's always the, the signings at the same time of players with obvious talent but who needed time to to work to reach the top and United needs that kind of mix of incomings to succeed. You need big name signings. You need players who are going to improve, and you need players coming up from the academy. I mean, some of the best players in Fergie's great sides turned out signed as as kind of not unknown quantities, but not quite there yet, and went on to be the best players in those teams. Vidic, Evra, Ronaldo, even to an extent, and Van Nistelrooy to a, a smaller extent, but a little bit. Um, Obviously, that kind of changed when Van Nistelrooy got the the knee injury and and his signing was delayed for a year. But it's just that not every United signing can be a world-class, ready-made player or a big name. And and Dallo is kind of, it seems like the player that United need to accompany signings like Alexis Sanchez. Because if if you look at Real Madrid, I mean, even Real Madrid, famed for Galacticos, 
and they bring in the relative unknowns. Sergio Ramos, Asensio, Casemiro. Those are the kind of players that United need to bring in at the same time as Sanchez, Pogba, Lukaku, Zlatan. 100%. I, I think for me, there's sort of like four four sort of categories of signs. You've got the, the bona fide superstars, the people like Pogba, like Lukaku, like Van Persie. Then you've got the sort of just sort of stopgap options, I guess. People who generally are a little bit older and probably won't play um, won't play a vital role in the team. I guess people like Daily Blin, that, that kind of role. Then you've got people like Vidic and Evra who who are bought in as relatively young players, not not youth team players by any chance, by any means, who, you know, if they're going to be a successful sign, you're going to have to develop them yourself. And it's those kind of signings. The fourth one, I would say, would just be youth players. Uh, but it's those kind of signings, the sort of Vidic and Evra type of signings that I think really make or break a team. Because you can't, you just can't make a team where it, all 11 players or all 18 players in, in the sort of match day squad are all 60, 70 million pound players. Even today when... Every team seems to have unlimited amounts of cash. You just can't do that. And so it does rely on you having five, six, seven players in your squad that you bought when they were pretty unknown, but that you've developed yourself. Um, because that really is the only way that you're going to improve as a team. And part of that is signing players that aren't just, aren't just good and have good, good attributes. They're players that you think are going to fit well into your system. I think it's what... I think it's why um, City have progressed so well under Pep because a lot of the signings that they've made under Pep, obviously they've spent a lot of money, as we have. But I think the difference is that Pep signings are players who are very clearly going to fit into his system. And we haven't always done that. And I think that's where our recruitment has been lacking in the last few years. And I think hopefully Darlo, or Dallo, sorry, will be hopefully a good signing sort of in that village and Everett ilk if we can develop him as, in the way that we want. And it seems like there might be a good succession plan in place with him and Valencia. Valencia probably coming to the end of his time at United in the next year or two, which might be the perfect time frame. Yeah, for definitely. That seems like we're signing a player for for their attributes rather than their, their name or just because they're available, which Alexis Sanchez obviously was. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, Lee Grant is another sensible signing. No money, solid third choice, allows... Joel Ferreira, who's still young, 21 years old, which is very young for a goalkeeper to develop with a loan move. But then you see Marino confirming that yeah. Valencia's going to stay as captain, and if he's not on the pitch, then one of Smalling, Young, Herrera and Mata, and possibly Matic. And you just think that's slightly depressing, because yeah. a lot of people would... I'd say there's only one of those players who you would say should be a starter every week, and that's Matic, and he was the last so, one on that list. Yeah, and there's there's potentially only one of those players you said should say should be at the club smalling should be sold young shouldn't be starting and should probably be sold herrera sh- should probably be given another chance but isn't young and isn't good enough in his in his current form and they definitely shouldn't be captain or, or vice captain for united and marina said look i don't care about captains but i i get that but it's the fact that he's naming them as potential captains which means they are going to be starting and you think you look at City and you look at Liverpool getting rid of dead wood and you think United for just years, for Moyes, Van Gaal and Mourinho, it's just been this timid kind of selling of dead wood, usually for, for less money than they should be sold. Yeah. And like, now we're doing it and yeah. it's, it's Daily Blinds we're getting rid of, who has never been bad for United, has never been amazing and never got starting spots, but never been bad. Whereas you look at players like Smalling, Damian, even Phil Jones, who I like and is 
often a very good centre back, but isn't good enough for United. You think, why are we getting rid of these players and not these players? And I, there's enough time left in the transfer window, even though it's it's shortened this year. There's three weeks left. I don't really mind that we're not seeing much in terms of incomings because there there will be stuff going on. We know that, and you've just got to trust that hopefully we're bringing in the right people and, and things will get done. But I am concerned about the way we're still keeping these players who United have relied upon for five years to to their own downfall. And Mourinho is, is making the same mistakes in, in that regard as Van Gaal and Moyes did. Um, and you just think... Yeah, we, need to, we need to see more ruthlessness from, from United. Yeah, and you thought Mourinho you know, you would can't... be that ruthless manager. And yet he's not. Yeah. I mean, look at City. They, they released five of their, not legends, but five of their great players who had led them to their first few titles on the same day. And then United are, are pandering to players like Marouane Fellaini. Yeah. And I think that's why I was so annoyed about the Fellaini contract. It's not even that he's been given a new contract on its own. Obviously, I would prefer it if, if we didn't have Fellaini because it forces us to play a certain way when we have him. But it's just it's the message that it sends because he's the, exactly the kind of player that was part of an era of this club that we want to forget. And we're now bringing him with us into what we hope to be a new era. Um, but unfortunately, it started off in much the same way as the last few years. We've just players who shouldn't really be at the club being given far too many chances. And out of all of the sort of deadwood players, as I would as I would categorise them, David Blind is probably I think the one that should have been the least uh, sort of the, like, sort of the lowest on my list to be sold because out of all of them, he's the most versatile and is the least mistake prone. Um, the fact that Darmian and Fellaini have not been not been let go over him, especially Fellaini who didn't even require anyone to, to buy him for us to let him go. It was just a matter of letting his contract run out. You know, that to me, that just sends such a bad message to the team and to the fans of, of where this club might be going in the future. I hope, I hope, I obviously hope I'm wrong and I hope in the next three, three weeks we see some more activity. Um, but I do think that the Fellaini decision does send the wrong message and it stops us. Fellaini, I think, for so many people has become a representation of the Moyes era, the Van Gaal era, the the sort of dark post Fergie days without meaning to be too too down on everything. Um, and I think seeing him go would have been a nice sort of symbol of that that era coming to an end. So hopefully I'm wrong. Like I said, hopefully, um, I hope really hope that I get proved right. I just don't think it was a good decision. And especially seeing Mourinho name those players as sort of captain material when you've got people like De Gea, like Pogba, who A, are two extremely good players, De Gea, being the more senior of the two and Pogba really showing his leadership qualities in the World Cup, you would have hoped that those two would have been given more of a chance to step up and take on that leadership role. But it seems like Mourinho is uh, is sort of stuck in stuck in with the uh, the original group of players. Yeah, we just we need more ruthlessness and and more genuinely quality in our side. Less less quantity, more proper quality. Yeah, exactly. And to and to spend some money. I mean, United have a lot of money. United spend a lot of money, but a lot of it's been on on single players. Pogba eighty nine million, Lukaku seventy five to ninety million. And you think City have City seem to have a policy of not going over fifty million or around that for a player. And they've spent fifty million a lot of times, like five or six times in the last three years. They are spending a huge amount of money. And United say they have a lot of money, and then get surprised when clubs demand huge sums and then say oh no we can't afford that and it's like yeah. well you've got to do it otherwise we're going we're just continuing downwards um and also united's transfer structure isn't 
you look at other clubs like Liverpool, they have a committee. I think they have a three-man committee who are advising Klopp, advising another sporting director. And United's is a former banker who helped the Glazers buy the club, who has improved over the last few years, obviously, because he's got more experience. But Ed Woodward is not a sporting director and shouldn't be considered one. I, I don't know why he's still handling transfers, but obviously he doesn't answer to anyone. So that that makes it very hard. Yeah. We need to wrap it up there because we've, we've spoken for a long time. But the new kit, um, black shorts, red socks, bit weird. Don't like yeah. it. I, I don't mind trying new things with a kit, but changing the colour of the kit is a, is a weird... I saw a good tweet that says, that new kit fits the team perfectly, underwhelming dross and probably too expensive for its own good. <laughs> I must admit, I think I, the, the T-shirt on its, own, on its own looks very, very strange. I think it looks, I think it looks pretty good with, with the shorts, but... Just the concept of, of changing the colours, I think, it doesn't sit well with me. I like the um, kit on, on players, but yeah, the shirt looks weird and the fact that they, they're just changing colours is it's like, well, I mean, there's no need to. I think it's slightly ironic that the, the changing colours are supposed to be going back to the roots of the club, but then you've also changed one of the main traditions of the club in the process. <laughs> so it's a little bit weird, that one. I think, I think the thing for me is just that um, I was having a, um, a conversation with, with someone on Twitter the other day saying... And they made a, made the good point that whenever we we seem to wear black shorts when we had um, kit clashes with teams, we generally played pretty well. And it was a nice sort of random change that you got sometimes. It's going to be weird now not having. I that. used to love watching us wear black shorts because it because it was rare and red and black just looks yeah. looks great. But this is like a weird like it's like a, a gradual shift from red to black to red. You're like, yeah. Well. Another, another thing I've noticed actually in our kits. Not not just this season, but in the last like five or six years, it seems like there's been a trend of making the red in our kits a lot darker. Yeah, I know. I know our, our kits have never been have never been bright wet, bright red, but you look at the kit now, even even the top of it, it's it's almost like verging on like I, I don't want to say like a burgundy, almost like a crimson sort of color when it's traditionally been a bit brighter, a bit lighter. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I I definitely won't be buying it. I, I'm trying to remember the last time I bought a new kit. There's no, there's no real point when you can get a a kit from a season where we actually were playing nice football and there were some nice players that you actually liked um, for like a tenner. Why would you spend hundred quid on the new kit? Um, I think I think the, the most recent shirt I've got I think is from Van Hals last season. I've got I've got David Moyes shirt with uh, Phil Jones. Actually no, I've got yeah I've got Moyes shirt with Phil Jones on the back and then I've got a Van Hals shirt with Schweinsteiger on the back. Which both both went well, obviously, with Jones playing about about three games that year <laughs> and Schweinsteiger never really playing at all. Anyway. Can you buy a Fellaini one this year so he never yeah. plays? I should actually do that. Every player I don't want to play should just buy a shirt on. Because my brother bought <laughs> um, Hargreaves. Yeah. Uh, and and then oh, he bought Van Persie the year after Van Persie was good for David Moyes' season. We both had Shingi Kagawa. So basically any... any Player we get on the back of our our shirt is doomed. Well, can, can you buy a Fellaini one then? And he get and he. If gets anyone listening wants to buy me a Fellaini shirt, I will happily have it. But I I <laughs> won't be spending the eighty pounds on a Marwan Fellaini shirt. Um. <laughs> anyway, that's all we have time for. Thank you as always for listening to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've been with us since Series One, this is the start of Series Four. Um, and we're hoping we'll have some some more positive things to talk about this season compared to some of the dross we've had since starting during the Van Gaal era. For more from us over pre-season, we'll be back pretty shortly, I think, um, probably in a week's time or, or just a bit longer um, while we let pre-season kind of 
marinate and see what's happening on the on the transfer front as well. For more from us, you can follow Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate T A I T, and you can follow me on Twitter at at Harry Robinson sixty four, and the podcast itself at at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P O D at the end there. Thank you as always for listening. Have a great week. Enjoy the the early starts or late nights for pre season. Goodbye. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.